2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 3, you will find these words. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers, night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Our text of emphasis for today is really starting at verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift. And this this afternoon, for a few moments, I want to talk with you from the thought. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. Amen. There is a name I love. To hear, I love to sing is worth. It sounds just like music in my. Oh, 
the gift. Stir it up. In our text today, we find in the backdrop of this text a young man. A young man that is on a mission for the Lord. The young man has been commissioned to be the pastor at Ephesus. For Bible readers, you will understand that Ephesus was not an easy place to teach and preach the gospel. Ephesus has some hard-headed folks and has some folks who would turn against you and would talk about you and scandalize your name. But Paul, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, had laid hands on Timothy. The Spirit had expressly let Paul know that there was a gift in Timothy. Even though Timothy seemed timid right now, that God was the author and the finisher of his faith. And even though he was where he is right now, that God was going to put him in a place to run him through the refiner's fire and he was going to come out like pure gold. And today I want to contend with every believer in this house. Don't despise your afflictions. Don't despise your times of trouble and tribulation. Because after it's all said and done, after it's completed, you're going to come out like pure gold. God promised us that before the foundations of the world that he had us in mind. The Bible says that all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So as long as you're called by God, as long as you're in the cradle of his arm, as long as you know that you love him and he loves you, that everything is going to work together for your good. But I don't want us to stop at Romans 8 and 28, but don't forget Romans 8, 29. That God, before the foundations of the world, it said he foreknew us. Before we were a twinkle in our mother and father's eyes, God knew us. Before it was, God knew. Before he said, let there be. So for everyone who is called by his name, you must know that you are predestined to good works. Ephesians chapter 8, chapter 2, verse 10 allows us to see that we should walk in them. But in Romans 8 and 29, we realize that he who foreknew us also predestined us, which means before we was, he already set our path. He already had our blessings in mind. He already had our troubles and our trials, and that's why, as James said, we can count it all joy. I know it ain't easy. I know it's not fun to do those things that are uncomfortable, those things that cause you pain. I know it's not easy to go through situations that you didn't even create for yourself. But always remember that you were predestined for these things. Sometimes it looks like things are just happening 
out of just pure happenstance. But there is nothing happening that does not first have to go through the hand of God. Whether good, whether bad. All things work together for the good. It may not feel good to us, but it's still good for us. So we realize that God has a plan for us all. And so this young man has been put into the crucible. He's been put in a place where it doesn't look like he's prepared for. But you and me both, we don't look like we're prepared for the positions that we go into. But we put our faith and our trust in the one who is. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But on the backside of that, he also said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So we know that our strength is in the Lord. Not in our own power, not in our own abilities, but in the Lord. So circumstances come and circumstances go. Headache comes and headache goes. Affliction comes and affliction goes. But as long as you're in the hands of the Lord, you're going to come out like pure gold. So as we look at our text, we see that Paul says that he thanks God whom he served with a pure conscience. In order to do the business of the Lord, your conscience got to be right. And this is something that you can't do on your own. You can't just sit up and decide, I'm going to have a pure conscience. I'm going to get right. I'm going to stop doing the things I've been doing. And I'm going to do things the way the Lord wants to do it on your own. If that was so, everybody would be saved. And Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross. But a pure conscience comes by the great gift of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus sent after he came and after he rose from the grave and went back to glory. The Bible says on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came. Jesus told him to wait until your power comes. And that power is the one in the Trinity, that he, that third person, the Holy Spirit. If you have not the Holy Spirit, then you are not his. Because the Holy Spirit is what seals us until the day of redemption. He is the one who points us out and say, these, Jesus, are your own. But he also plays the role of the one that empowers us for ministry. Empowers us to deal with the day-to-day issues of life. It's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy saying I'm going to follow the way of the Lord. And Jesus made that clear when he let us know that every now and then somebody comes by. He says the way to hell is broad, but the way to heaven is narrow. It's not easy, but it's just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's impossible. So saints of God, we've got a mission that we are to accomplish. And that mission may be, as the TV show said, mission impossible. Mission impossible for man, but mission possible with God. And you must remember what God has given you. You're not in this mission alone. 
You're not here trying to figure it out on your own strength. But God has put himself inside of you. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you realize that within you is the fullness of God in his spirit? Now, if we got God on the inside, then in reality, there's nothing that we can't do. So when we look at our text, Paul says there's there's this faith. There's this genuine faith that he saw in Timothy. It's a genuine faith that really understands that we are nothing without the Lord, but we are everything with him. Even though we weren't there when he died, we weren't there when he was buried, we weren't there when he rose from the grave, we believe it all in faith. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Even though we weren't there, when we believe on him, something happens to us on the inside. Something happens that we know that we have been changed. Because of our faith, the Bible says, for by grace through faith we are saved. Not a works lest any man should boast. Something happened when we had genuine faith in God. That we were endued with power. We now have a relationship with God that he walks with us and he talks with us and he keeps telling us we are his own. And that's all we need to know. When we know that we are Jesus's, everything is going to be all right. Sister Butler, as we were talking about yesterday, that Jesus says that you hear my voice. There's a lot of voices out there today. There's a lot of voices that say you can't do it. You can't do this Christian thing because the world disapproves of it. But the world is not your authority. God is your authority. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you want to look at it correctly, the culture coming against us is nothing but hell. But it shall not prevail. Because greater is he that is within us than he is in the world. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Though the enemy come in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. So as Paul is preaching and teaching this young Timothy, he's teaching us. That in a world that's, that's hostile toward the things of God, don't get weary in well-doing. Don't, don't, don't get fearful because that's not what God has given us. The text says, when we look at the text of emphasis, it says to stir up the gift. To stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. Paul was an apostle. And so in that context, he was an apostle and he was laying on hands and he was receiving the Holy Spirit. But now we don't receive the Holy Spirit of folk laying hands on it. The Bible lets us know when we trust in Jesus Christ, immediately we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit becomes resident in us. Stir up the gift. You do know that the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. You can't pay for it. 
You can't pray for him living in you. You wouldn't know how to find him in order to get him anyway. It is a gift that comes from the Lord. But this text allows us to know that he's in there. But in order for us to get all that he has for us, we got to stir him up. Well, the first question has to come, what does it mean to stir up the gift? Well, first of all, you must know that the gift is given to us, as Acts chapter 1 says, is given to us so that we will be witnesses. The Bible says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be endued with power to become witnesses. The Bible says to those saints at Jerusalem, And then the surrounding region of Judea and Samaria, the folks that you didn't like, and the uttermost. See, what happens with saints of God sometimes is we think the power that God has given us is just for ourselves. It's just for our own that look like us and talk like us and are part of our membership. But that text allows us to know, no, it goes further than that. It goes outside of that to others that believe like you do at other churches in Judea. But it goes further than that because he said Samaria. You do know that Jews and Samaritans had no dealing. That the Jews thought that they were impure. And they had no dealing with them. But when the Holy Spirit comes you realize that those who are not like you whom you think are impure are the very ones you are to witness to. It's the drug addict, it's the prostitute, it's the drug dealer, it's the liar, it's the extortioner, it's the murderer, it's the adulterer. It is the one with with all kind of, of evil sayings and evil actions. It is the corrupt businessman. It's all of them that we don't have no dealing that we are to deal with because God has sent us to be light in darkness. If the lights just stand around one another, then their effectiveness almost becomes null and void. If the lights are already on and I pull out a light and I turn it on, it's not going to make that big a difference. If no difference at all. But when I go into the darkness and I turn on my light, then darkness flees. And that's what we must be. We must never forget that our primary mission is to those who are perishing, not to those who are no need of a physician. So here is Timothy in Ephesus dealing with this community of hostile individuals. And Paul is saying that don't forget about the gift. Don't forget to keep on stirring it up, keep on working, keep on ministering, because that gift is in you. And he says in his text, he says, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, saints, that we are to fear anyone or anything. God has not given us a spirit of fear that feels like if I give out of what I have, I won't have enough. Because God has promised us that he will be our provider. It's in his name, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. When we look at our own 
resources and we say we don't have enough to do God's will, what we are saying is we're trying to do it in our own strength. And when we try to do it in our own strength, we sure will get fearful. Because when we look at the numbers and we say, hey, my beginning won't stretch to my end, we get fearful. We get worried. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that all things are his, then you don't worry about that because you know that he will supply your every need according to his riches in glory. Amen. So it causes you to be able to be strong enough to give instead of being fearful that you won't have enough. Jesus says, I know what you need before you even ask. So you can go ahead on because Jesus will take care of you. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, David said, I was once young, but now I'm old. I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. And the same promises that God fulfilled in David, he will fulfill in you. Stir up the gift. And he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. We don't need to fear nobody either. The best that any person could do if God allows is to take our body, but they can't take our soul. And our soul and our spirit, that is what will continue on. That's the real you. But I just believe God will protect even your body. God has all power in his hand. Now God's sending us on a mission because he's going to be there to complete it. The Bible says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. The Bible says, let us go outside. And so Timothy going into a strange place, as we are to go, must realize that we've got the spirit of God in us. The spirit of God can overcome any adversity because the spirit of God is the Lord. The Spirit of God has all power. And I, last time I checked, there wasn't anything on the other side of all. all right. But when you look at this text, you also see that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Of power. Jesus said, don't be concerned about your tribulations, for I have already overcome the world. The power of God on the inside goes before us in our ministries. That's why it's crucial to pray before you go because you want the Lord to go before you. Never to forget that it's not our ministry anyway, but it's the Lord's. Vengeance is mine saying, the Lord, I will fight your battle. So when you go out to do his work, let his Holy Spirit go before you. Let his power do the work and you see the salvation of the Lord. But when you realize that you've got this kind of power on the inside, it takes away the fear of being out amongst folks who don't know the Lord. When you have this kind of power, you realize that God has got your back. That when you're out there doing the work of the Lord, he can take care of them. He can take care of the drug pusher who's packing. He can take care 
of that thief who has a knife in his pocket. He can take care of any of them. But most times we don't even deal with folks of that level. It's just everyday folks who don't know the Lord. But for some reason, the devil has convinced us to be fearful of the world. But that's the same world we came out of. When we were in it, we weren't afraid. We weren't afraid to be out at all times of the night. We weren't afraid to be with them. They were our friends. But now suddenly we're so afraid of them, but we've got more now than we did then. Back then, we didn't have the Holy Spirit. We didn't have that power, but we weren't afraid of nothing. Now that we've got him who's more powerful than anybody or anything, how much more should we be bold in our ministries? We got to get back to the basics, get back to the realities of what God has put in us. And then when we get to that point, we can move out. We can really get about the ministry because we know what we've got inside of us. We know what kind of tool we have in him, the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't stop there. The text says, he hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This kind of love that he's talking about here could be translated agape. It's the kind of love that allows us to look beyond faults and see needs. See, sometimes we get caught up in the faults of other folk when they don't treat us right or they say things that we don't like. They, they, they may do some things that hurt our feelings and then all of a sudden we find ourselves on the side of the road pouting. Now we're not interacting with one another the way we should. But saints of God, you must always remember that every one of us lives in the human condition. The human condition is a frail condition. It's a condition where sin can show up at any time. Whether it's somebody hurting you or you hurting somebody else, it can always happen. Sometimes it happens because you wanted it to and sometimes it happens even though you didn't want it to. Because as long as we live in this earth, living with these kind of issues of the human condition, the frailty of sin, offense will come. But when you've got the love of God on the inside and you're utilizing it the way that the Lord wants us to do, we can look at our brother or sister who said something crazy about us or or mistreated us or who stole something from us. And we can say, you know what? I can look past this because I realize that the same Jesus that I need, you need too. That I can look past this because I know when I was a thief. I know when I was a liar. And sometimes to tell the honest truth, there are times even as believers when we do those very things. Sometimes we steal and we call it, well, we're just borrowing, but now we're stealing. Sometimes we call little white lies, but all lies are the same color. So we must realize even in our Christianity that we are still weak. And if God said if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
How much more should we be willing to forgive our brother or sister when they sin or transgress against us? That's love. That's the kind of love that God is looking for from his children. Rather. He's looking for the kind of love that can look at the brother or sister and know that they've been talking about you behind their back. But yet you look at the benefits that they need. You look at the salvation. You look at the joy. You look at the peace. You look at the provision that your brother or sister need. So you go to your brother and sister and you treat them the way you would have them to treat you. You don't go there and fight and scuffle with them and have a bunch of complaints, but you just go on realizing that it could be you. You could be the same person talking about somebody else and hurting their feelings. You could be the same person who popped off at the mouth in a moment of a fit of anger and caused that person to stumble. When you realize your position as well as though you can exhibit this kind of love because you can look beyond their fault and to see their need. The Bible says in Galatians, he said, when a brother falls into a temptation, ye that are spiritual, restore one in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. See, what we don't understand sometimes is that the temptation that got our brother or our sister may not be the temptation that gets us, but if you hold on a little while, there's a temptation for you and me too. There's a temptation to get us in the same ditch that we find our brother and sister. So we better not leave them there and laugh at them, but we better get over there and try to help them up. Because we want the Lord to help us up when we fall. Amen. Because I'm glad that in these epistles that God said through this apostle that when we were faithless, God was faithful. Because when we weren't doing right and we were doing our own thing, God didn't leave us alone. So therefore, because God has saved us and he has delivered us from the muck and the mire, surely we can deliver our brother or sister. Surely we can put out a helping hand because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love. And you got to stir up the gift. You will be given an opportunity in this life to stir up that gift. Because offenses will come, but can you stir up the gift? But when we look at our text, we see that it's also of a sound mind. Christians ought to be able to think clearly when everything else is in chaos. Because God has given us a mind to be able to cut through the clutter of life. When the culture is saying to us, this is right and that is right, the Christian ought to be able to look soundly into the word of God and say, uh-uh. The Lord says that is not right. Christians ought not be sitting back saying, well, I, I believe um, that, uh, and it's in my opinion that, no, that's worldly mess. The world is the one who tries to be professing themselves wise they became fools. The world is the one who tries to be opinionated and come up with that. We don't need no opinions. We don't need to come up with our own postulates or theorem. We just need to go to the word of God. Because we don't have no authority. All of our authority comes from the word. And so our sound mindedness comes from engrafting our minds into the word of God. 
to continue to study and find out what is the mind of God, we should be sound. We should be sound before the magistrate when they say to us that gay marriage is all right, that that is how it should be, and that when we step up and say that is not what the Lord said and that is the sin in his sight, we ought to be sound instead of saying, well, I don't know. Uh, I guess if two people love one another, it's okay. No, that's worldly stuff, and that is not biblical by no stance. And see, all kind of things is coming out of this. And I believe at an earlier sermon I warned about this, is that there is a slippery slope of sin. So it starts with gay marriage, it starts with homosexuality being put on a pedestal. But then it moves from there to bestiality. Because I saw somewhere in the paper that this was a man who was having sex with his dog. If you think it ain't happening, just check your papers. In the United States of America. But you ain't seen nothing yet. If this country keeps going the way it's going, we're going to see other abominations that we wouldn't imagine that we see in this life. But the point of the matter is, while that is happening, while everybody else is losing their heads, the Christian ought to be keeping theirs. While everybody else is doing anything and everything, the Christian ought to be keeping theirs. We ought to be keeping our culture of the kingdom of God in the midst of a culture of the kingdom of this world. While Satan is deceiving, we ought to not be deceived because we have the word that is the thing that keeps us on track. But you can't stay on track. You can't keep a sound mind if only time you have your Bible is on Sunday and the rest of the week is collecting dust. You got to read your word daily. Just as you eat physical food, you need spiritual food. But as I come to a close, I'm saying to the saints of God to encourage you to stir up the gift that's been put on you. Stir up this gift that has all power in his hand. Stir up the gift of God that gives you love. Stir up the gift that gives you power. Stir up the gift that gives you a sound mind. Stir up the gift. Because in this world, there are men and women who don't know where the next meal is going to come. Stir up the gift. There are men and women, boys and girls, who don't know where the next shelter will come. Stir up the gift. There are men and women, boys and girls, who don't know where their eternal destination is. Stir up the gift. Because I heard in this word that almost 2,000 years ago, there was a man who was anointed by God. He read the word of Isaiah and said that the spirit of the Lord was upon him and had anointed him to preach the gospel. This man's ministry was teaching, but his ultimate goal was to die. The spirit of the Lord led him out to the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights but that's not the end of the story the bible lets us know that living he loved us but one friday evening in a place called Golgotha's hill that same man 
anointed by the Spirit died for you and for me. That man's name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But that's not the end of the story. The gift that was in him was buried in a borrowed tomb. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But after three days and three nights, it was early, oh so early, Sunday morning that he got up with all power. says uh, that he stayed for a 40 day layover. He encouraged the saints of God to keep on going. Jesus said I am alive. I have risen indeed. And I just believe that Jesus would tell him stir up the gift. After 50 days I'm sending my comforter and the comforter shall live in you. Stir up the gift to tell men, to tell boys, to tell women, to tell girls that there is a reality in serving a true and living God. Stir up the gift because Jesus has already paid it all. Stir up the gift because he died. Stir up the gift because he was buried. Stir up the giver because he rose from the grave on that third day morning. Stir up the giver because one of these days, it won't be very long. He's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. Stir up the giver. Hallelujah. By and by. No matter what your circumstances is, stir up the giver. If you got money in your pockets, Stir up the gift. If you don't have money, stir up the gift. Even if you're in the twilight years of your life, stir up the gift. If you're just starting, stir up the gift. The ultimate thing is to let your light so shine that the world might know that there is salvation in our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. And at this time, we can open the doors of the church. There may be somebody here today who can't sing the songs of Zion because you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You say, preacher, I, I don't know him like that. He, he doesn't talk with me and Walk with me. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I am his own. Well, today I want you to know that Jesus' arms is open wide. That you can come just like you are and he will receive you. Because after all, he gave his life for you. He didn't put any stipulations on it, but he said, the whosoever will, let him come. No matter how low you've gone, or how high you think you are, let them come. 
Jesus will do something in you that you cannot do for yourself. He will take a dead spirit without communication with God and make it alive in his son Jesus Christ. That you will know the peace and the joy that surpasses all understanding. That you will be able to realize that God has you in the palm of his hand. You can come today. It won't cost you nothing because Jesus has paid it all. No big bank accounts. No 401ks. No pension plans. No Roth IRAs. Just come. You don't have to have a house. You don't have to have a car. Just come. You don't have to have fancy clothes. You don't have to be dressed right. You don't have to know how to say things just right. Just come. Because the reality is, you don't know when the day is done. You don't know when your day is up. Because when night cometh, no man can work. We think we have tomorrow. We think we have the next day. Oh, preacher, after I get through doing what I do, I got to get myself together and then I come. No, you come right now because tomorrow is not promised. And you can work as hard as you want to about it. You will never get yourself right. The best of all righteousness is the filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. You need a righteousness that does not come from you. You need it to come from the Lord. Come. Lay yourself on the altar. And let the Lord do in you what you cannot do for yourself. You can come today. Come to the Lord today. While it is your day. Christian experience. By baptism, you can come today.
Jesus, Master. Amen. Amen. Amen.